You've probably worked out it's a slightly different um, sermon today. We're going through Proverbs at the moment and we're going to pick a few themes. And so what we'll try and do here is gather in a whole load of threads and ideas from the book of Proverbs to do particularly with um, riches and wealth this morning. I'm going to pray for us now and then we will try and get to grips with this topic as we um, look at Proverbs more generally. Father in heaven, we, we long to be wise And yet you know the reality of our folly in many ways. And so we pray as individuals, we pray as a church corporately that you would be growing us in um, a fear of you, that we might have knowledge and wisdom, that we might know how to live in this your world. And so be at work, please, we pray this morning. Again, we don't simply want a better grasp of this topic, but we want to know you better and how to live for you better. In Jesus' name, amen. Do you know, our Father in heaven loves, he loves to give good gifts to his children. He he is generous and kind, he is patient, he is good. He wants us to enjoy him, he wants us to enjoy the things he gives us. Um, It's my Abby's birthday on Wednesday. She'll be seven. And as she unwraps her presents, we want her to enjoy those presents that we've given to her. And so it is with our God. He gives us good things. But it's complicated, isn't it? It's complicated because money and wealth and stuff and things can just get us tied up in knots. Our, Our focus goes on to the things that he's given us and away from the one who gives them. And I don't need to tell you how important money is and wealth is in our world, in our Western world, how, how wealth and finances and money evoke all kinds of feelings in us, whether it's the anxiety of being kept awake at night because you're not quite sure how you're going to pay for your rent or your mortgage this coming month or that bill. The feeling of excitement, maybe, because you're able to buy that thing that you've been saving up for for so long and, and tomorrow's the day and here it is. The feeling of safety it might evoke because you have your savings there to catch you just in case. The confusion maybe it evokes as you try and work out what does generosity look like in this context? How much should we give? What should we give to? The envy as you you stalk old school friends on Facebook and you see where they are now living and what they are now earning and doing The questions it evokes as you walk past homeless people on the streets. Try and work out, how best do I help them? What should my response be to them? What does wisdom look like? Maybe simply the feeling of being different that money evokes. Trying to go against the flow. Everyone else around us is fixated on stuff and things and climbing the ladder and filling their houses with posh furniture and and beautiful extensions and gardens. and, And you're trying to not let it become an ultimate thing, a thing that defines you. And you feel very different. It's right, isn't it? Money, riches, wealth, stuff. What we have, what we don't have, has the ability to evoke all kinds of feelings in us, maybe even multiple feelings in the same day, mixed and contradictory. And and yet money and our attitude to our money and what we do with our money and how we will get money 
really matters to the Lord. Jesus talked about money. In fact, Jesus talked about money an awful lot. In fact, if you tally up of his 38 parables, the fact that 16 of them were, in part at least, to do with how to handle money and possessions and things, that makes 42%. Which, in fact, when it comes down to it, is more than any other discipleship aspect. Jesus talked a lot about money. We don't talk about money that much. Maybe we should talk about money more. Why did Jesus spend so much time talking about money? I take it because he cares about our hearts and our attitude to our money is a window into our hearts. It reveals what we really care about. It reveals something of how much we've grasped his generosity to us. It reveals something of how much we've grasped the gospel ourselves. What we do with our money shows what we prioritize, shows what drives us. We, we can spend money on that, means that we can't spend money on that. And so it shows what's going on inside. Um, Zoe and I were chatting with um, Catherine and Ali uh, on Monday for their final marriage prep. And we are talking about money and savings and giving and different attitudes towards that. And, and they commented, um, I haven't asked them, I hope I'm okay to quote you on this, they commented um, that, there's, that they're going to give this much. No. Um, <laughs> there's a real privacy, isn't there, in conversation when it comes to how much we have and what we give to and, and why we spend money on those things. We just don't talk about that very much. It's not something we're very honest about. I remember a Christian speaker 15 years ago um, speaking, and he was talking about the fact he and his wife were looking to buy a new car, and in their, their home group that they were a part of, they went to their group with ideas of what they might buy, um, and here's why, and would you give us some comments? Would you challenge us on this? Because they knew that their money was not their money, it was the Lord's money, and they were stewarding it for him, and so they wanted their gospel community to have a say in that. But the point that stuck with me was the fact that there was so much pushback in the room from those listening. As he suggested that as a possible model for big decisions on how we spend our money in, in community, in Christian community, in groups, they had crossed a line. People were not happy with that. We're a private people. Maybe part of being British, we don't talk much about money. Maybe it's just the Western church. We just don't talk much about how we spend our money. And so what we want to do um, this morning is to try and stretch our thinking, to stretch our hearts, that we might be shaped not by our culture, not by our sin, not by our blind spots, not by our desires and self-justification, but actually by God's wisdom when it comes to how we manage our money. Just a bit of feedback, uh, a recap from last week. Do you remember Dave kicked us off and he said, in part, Proverbs is seeking to paint a worldview for us to help us understand how we see the world. That is, how do we understand the God who made the world? How do we understand his world that we are living in? How do we live in it? What does it mean to live well? And to be honest, Proverbs has a huge amount to say about money. It genuinely could be a whole series by itself, easily. Um, so we're going to need to be selective and focus in on some key themes. 
And we're going to need to be speedy as well, keeping up a fair pace. I'm aware we're not doing full home group notes over the summer, but I know a number of you are still meeting. Um, So there will be some questions tomorrow morning. But more than that, if you've got questions as we go through, why not scribble them down? Um, And as you meet with your home group this week or as you grab coffee with people or as you chat with your spouse or whatever it might be, why not chat through some of those things and then pray about them? Ask him that the Lord would help us to be wise with our, our riches and our finances and our money. I'm going I'm to make four points this morning. And our four points are these. Um, money is not the answer. It matters how you get money. It matters what you do with it, but it matters more who you are. Okay, so they're the broad themes. They're the four pegs we're going to hang things from. Um, And as I say, forgive me for speed. Um, Chat about them in groups later on. First point, money is not the answer. I wonder, have you ever daydreamed, escaped, meditated on what you would do if you won the lottery? What would you do with the millions? I have. Sadly. It's interesting, isn't it? There is something alluring about money. Hearts that get drawn in and captivated by money. It promises us things it can't actually provide. We we look at it and we consider it and we see that it is good and enjoyable and pleasing to the eye and desirable and we are tempted and we seek to take it. And yet, friends, trust me, again and again and again, the Bible will say that money is not the answer. And so two introductory cautions from Proverbs as we begin. The first is that money won't satisfy you. That is, there are lots of places in Proverbs that again and again and again the writers will say... It won't satisfy you. We need convincing of it. And so they keep banging on about it. Have a look here, 23 verse 5. There's going to be a fair bit of paper chasing. If you're not confident in your Bibles in Proverbs, then they should all be up there behind me. Um, I'm hoping PowerPoint should work as it ought to. It won't satisfy you. Cast but a glance at riches and they are gone, for they will surely sprout wings and fly off to the sky like an eagle. That is, they're not worth it. They are transient. They are fleeting. You, can, you can't build on them and trust them because before you know it, they might just grow wings and disappear because interest rates might take a dip and your savings are halved or house prices can fall even in Oxford, it turns out, the last few months. Your equity is squeezed. Interest rates can go up. Your mortgage payments will go up. How are you going to afford to live? How are you going to pay the bills? The stock market takes a crash and suddenly it all just feels a bit precarious. Money can't and it won't satisfy us. Because the things that satisfy us are the things that last. They're the things that we were made for. They are the one whom we were made for. So it can't satisfy us. But more than that, it can't save us either. Wealth is worthless in the day of wrath, but righteousness delivers from death. Those who trust in their riches will fall, but the righteous will thrive like a green leaf. The wealth of the rich is their fortified city. They imagine it is a wall too high to scale. 
you see what's going on? It's as if in the light of eternity, in the light of judgment, we gather around us the things that we think will save us. But in light of that judgment, it's not what we have, it's who we are, it's whom we are known by. That is the thing that will save us. They are the things that matter. It's not our riches, it's our righteousness. It's whether we are right with God or not. The thing is, here... Here, money is the prime currency, isn't it? It is the currency to get what I want. I give you this, you do this for me. I have this, you treat me like this, okay? That's how the world works. But it has no power when it comes to how God will treat us. It does not change how he will see us. And look, 18 verse 11, the third one there, their wealth will not deliver. Well, they think it will. Do you remember the Jebusites from a couple of weeks ago in Samuel? There they were, camped out up the hill in Jerusalem, mocking David and his troops. You won't get in here, we're safe. Got no chance, David. And yet he did get in and they weren't safe. Well, so it is for those who think their money finally will save them. Now, as believers... If you're here this morning and you would call yourself a Christian, a follower of Jesus, we know this, don't we? Of course we do. But I wonder if the rub is not where we think money and wealth will finally save us, but rather where our security comes from in the now. And so easily we put all our our trust in savings. Our savings are what dictate how we spend. So we're not as generous as we might be because we feel insecure and We want to feel safe, and so we save. And saving is good, don't mishear me. This thing takes wisdom. The Bible will teach us to to save and for stewardship and prudence. We'll come on to that in a bit. But we need to ask the question, are we trusting in Jesus for our safety? To, To save us, if you like, in the now. Is he the one who is firm and secure, the one who provides? Or... 11.28, are we trusting like everyone else in our riches? So do you see, money is not the answer. We need to begin with that, because so easily we can imbibe the thinking of the now and begin to live as if money was the answer. So it's not the answer. Secondly, it matters how you get it. Okay, it matters how you get money. And that is stated, firstly, positively, like this. Money usually comes from hard work and good decision-making. That is, in the context of Proverbs when it was written, industry and faithfulness lead to God's covenant blessings, which include material well-being. Okay, so foundationally, diligence, vigilance, plain hard work are the ways that we will have enough. They are the ways God has ordained that we will be provided for. But there's a word in there, isn't there? There's usually. Usually money comes from hard work and good decision-making because do you remember how Proverbs works? It's not the slot machine. We don't put in 50p and out comes wisdom or out comes life. In a world where there is sin and chaos and brokenness and disorder, actions do have consequences, but sometimes lazy fools get rich. Sometimes hard-working, wise people do not 
get rich. But usually, money comes from hard-working, good decision-making. Let me just put some verses up again to show you this. Again, it's a selection. There's loads of stuff. And we could look at, um, Jack read some of these for us. Uh, Famously, chapter 6, Go to the ant, you sluggard, consider its ways and be wise. It has no command and no overseer or ruler, yet it stores its provisions in summer and gathers its food at harvest. How long will you lie there, you sluggard? When will you get up from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come on you like a thief and scarcity like an armed man. We're again chapter 27. Be sure you know the condition of your flocks. Give careful attention to your herds. For riches do not endure forever and a crown is not secure for all generations. When the hay is removed and new growth appears and the grass from the hills is gathered in, the lambs will provide you with clothing and the goats with the price of a field. You will have plenty of goat's milk to feed your family and to nourish your female servants. Again, just a few things to focus on or to bring out or tease out for us. Again, hard work matters. Solomon he says, go out to the back garden, have a, have a look at the ants this afternoon. Look at them, watch them, they are hardworking. They are self-motivated, they know their role, they diligently work. So that at harvest, and they diligently work at harvest so then they can store up during times of plenty for later on. And so, says Solomon, chew on that for a bit. Stop being so lazy. Get out of bed. Get the duvet off you. Maybe for us it's get off your phone. Stop faffing. Stop, start focusing. Get on with work. Get on with life. Maybe in the West we need to hear that a bit more. Easily we can be sort of caught by the safety net around us. We drift on through life just about doing enough. Rescued by our parents. Rescued by the state. Rescued by friends. But essentially we just end up being a burden on other people. So consider the ant says Solomon. Later in the Bible, Paul will write to a church in Thessalonica, and he'll do it twice, and he will say to them there, and it sounds harsh, but he says, lazy believers should not get to eat. That's what Paul says. They had down their tools, they had wrong theology, they weren't living, they weren't working, and so Paul says, well, they're being a burden on everyone else. As part of the body, as part of the ant colony, we need to be diligent, he says. Play your part, consider the ant. And then more than that, the second one seems to go, we go from the ant colony to the shepherd, the sheep on the hillside. Take time and care. Look after your flocks and your herds, he says. Do an itinerary, do regular health checks. Due diligence, shepherd, because riches don't last forever. But, you know, if you look after and take care of what you have, he says, if you steward what God has given you, then when the new grass appears, you'll have an income, you'll shear your lambs, you'll milk your goats. Don't assume everything is going to be okay. Check what you have now. Take care now so that in the future you'll be fruitful. You'll be provided for. How does that translate for us? I don't know. Maybe if you're in business, which I know some of you will be, it might mean... Careful and diligent planning and action now so that in six months' time you'll be all right. You know what you're dealing with. You know the health and the viability of what you have now so that in the months to come you can be fruitful. 
Maybe it's being careful about personal finances. It's not sticking your head in the sand and not opening your bank statements, but rather taking care of what you have now, knowing the information that you you need, so that down the line, you'll be able to provide for your dependents. Just because God has blessed you now, shepherd, we need to look after those sheep. So in six months' time, you'll be okay. And then finally, I love this one, um, 2819. Um, Those who work their land will have abundant food, but those who chase fantasies will have their fill of poverty. I love that. Stop daydreaming. Stop chasing after the wind. Stop living in cloud cuckoo land and just get on with life. It's all right to have dreams and ideas and thoughts, but you need to be diligent now. Work the land now so that you might have abundant food. I think that's a danger in a world where people are told they can be whatever they want to be. They can do whatever you want to do. Just put your mind to it. And I've seen this happen. A decade later, people realize, oh, that's not true. Actually, I can't do that thing I've been dreaming about. It just doesn't work. And yet it's too late. So it matters how you get money positively stated. It comes usually from hard work and good decision-making. Negatively, it matters because the Lord abhors those who get rich by injustice. I think I have to say, friends, if you have any sort of questionable methods of attaining income, then we need to say stop. I don't know what that might look like. But we need to stop. The Lord abhors those who get rich by injustice. Um, 21 verse 6, a fortune made by a lying tongue is a fleeting vapor and a deadly snare. If you're making your money through a scam or a get-rich-quick scheme, it won't last. It's like a fleeting vapor and it will take you down like a deadly snare. It's like a trap that will grab you. Or again, 22, um, 16, one who oppresses the poor to increase his wealth and one who gives gifts to the rich both come to poverty. That is, if you take advantage of the poor to get rich or if you give gifts to the rich, presumably to curry favour, you will end up poor yourself. How does that happen? I wonder if the next one helps. 22. Do not exploit the poor because they are poor, and do not crush the needy in court, for the Lord will take up their case and will exact life for life. That is, God looks after those who are oppressed among his people, and if they can't find justice on the earth, they will find justice in heaven, because he is just, and he is good. And deceptions and scams will not go unnoticed. If there are dealings we need to sort, sort them. It matters how we get it. It matters how we, what we do with it as well. Keep going. You're doing well. The third broad theme is what we do with our money matters. That is, our bank statements really do tell a story. They really do tell us what we care about. They provide us with a window into our hearts And the Lord says we are to be a generous people. He has been generous to us, and so we are to be those who are generous. We are to steward well what he has given us, what he's entrusted to us to look after for him. I think that works out firstly in how we relate to the Lord. Chapter 3, 
famously, honour the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops, then your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will brim over with new wine. Now what does it mean that we are to give back to the Lord, to honour him? Does that mean if we give him stuff, he will give us stuff? Is the so-called prosperity gospel true? Does that work? No, I think we need to take care. As always when we read the Bible, we need to understand what did it mean then before we try and work out what it means now for us. And when this came, when, the, when Proverbs came, they were under Mosaic law, where obedient to, obedience to God's word led to blessing and life, and life as it was meant to be lived. The Lord said, do this, and I will pour out life on you. Don't do this, or if you do these things that I say no, then that will lead to curse and death, said the Lord. Do you know, if we walk out on the God of life, we're left with death. And so we're not under the Mosaic Covenant anymore. And so I don't think it works quite the same way. But that does mean we don't just throw away verses like this. We are still to honour the Lord with our wealth, with the first even of what we make. I've reflected on that this week, and I think that's just sadly something I was better at when I was younger. Maybe life was simpler. Maybe there were fewer children. Maybe houses were smaller. But I wonder if I was better at this when I was younger. Do we give first, or do we simply give what's left? Do we give when we have what we want or we need or think we deserve? Does our giving actually cost us very much, really? Have we absorbed the culture around us and does that affect our giving? Having said that, I do wonder whether there's a real sense in which if we steward well what he gives us in all kinds of things... If we use those things and bless others well, I wonder whether he may give more that we might be a blessing. I say that carefully. But think of the parable of the talents that Jesus taught. If we use well what he gives us, then we'll be given more. Certainly in the life to come, he says. But you wonder whether in the now, that if he gives us gifts and we use them, then he will grow those gifts that we might use them. So we're to steward well in relation to the Lord, but also we're to steward well in relation to others. And I think particularly in Proverbs, it's fair to say that we are to steward well in relation to the poor. Um, do you remember from uh, Dave's introduction last week, we said much of Proverbs was written to people in leadership, to kings. Much of it is Solomon's wisdom. And so perhaps there's a sense in which those in power ought to take special note to the wisdom within Proverbs. And maybe that's why particularly the poor are singled out. Because those who have authority are to look after those whom nobody else will. I don't think it's vital, though, that we get to grips with what this means and why. Why does it matter how we treat the poor? Why does it matter and what we do with our money in relation to those who don't have much? I think it's because often the poor become objects rather than people. Often folk who are poor become dehumanized. And yet the writer again and again and again will say, remember they are made in the image of their creator. 
Remember they are made in the image of their creator. As you walk past the person sleeping in the doorway on Corn Market, remember they are made in the image of their creator. As you walk past that person asking just for a bit of spare change to make a phone call or get a taxi home, whatever scam it might be, remember they are made in the image of their creator. And when we were helpless and not able to do anything about it, God was kind to us. When we were weighed down with sin and with debt, the Lord was generous to us. And so, a couple of verses. Whoever oppresses the poor shows contempt for their maker. But whoever is kind to the needy honours God. Whoever is kind to the poor lends to the Lord and he will reward them for what they have done. Do you see that? Oppressing the poor shows contempt to our maker. Kindness to the poor honours God. Just on the way past, this gets quite complicated in our global context, doesn't it? I wonder if it ought to more impact the decisions we make in terms of what we buy. And I know it's complicated, and I know it takes time, and I know information is not always there. But sometimes it seems to me the things that we buy can end up being oppressive for other people. Where does that thing come from? Who made that for me? Under what conditions did they make it? It's complicated, isn't it? I think it takes time and prayer. But we don't want to be those who oppress people because they are made in the image of their creator. Again, I'm, I'm struck by Jesus' teaching on the sheep and the goats and Matthew 25. Again, maybe have more time in it in home groups. But Jesus says he will judge and divide people depending on how we treat the least of his people. And then the conversation afterwards goes like this. Matthew 25, verse 37. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you ill or in prison and go to visit you? The king will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Isn't that striking? Number one, the righteous actively love the poor. Number two, in loving the poor, we do that for Jesus. Number three, they didn't even know they'd done it. It wasn't like Thursday night, that's our looking after the poor moment. It's just natural. It's, it's a natural outworking of righteousness. Their motivation was not for a reward of any kind. They weren't expecting anything in return. So I wonder if wise use of our wealth means caring for those who are poor. Particularly, I take it from elsewhere in the Bible, particularly for believers, brothers and sisters in Christ, particularly, but it doesn't stop there either. So, money is not the answer, it can't satisfy you or save you. It matters how you get it. It's usually through hard work and diligence. You don't get rich by injustice. It matters what you do with it. We honour God foundationally. We care for those in need. But then finally, it matters more who you are. This book has much to say about the relative importance of money 
It really puts it in his place. It says money is inferior to all kinds of other things that we think are important. And what I want to do, it may be foolish, but just to try and give you a snapshot of a few things that it says money is inferior to. Okay, just to give you some examples and some quick glances again, opportunity to chat about them later in the week perhaps. A, A broad survey... It matters more who you are. It is inferior to the fear of the Lord. That's 15 and verse 16. Better a little with the fear of the Lord than great wealth with turmoil. That is, it's better to not have much and to fear the Lord than to have loads of stuff and the mayhem and the stress that that brings, whether in getting it or in keeping it. It's interesting, isn't it? The fear of the Lord is in juxtaposition with turmoil. It's as if a calm fear of the one who made you is the antidote to anxiety and stress of a complicated life of wealth. Money, wealth, is inferior to the fear of the Lord. It's inferior to humility. Better to be lowly in spirit along with the oppressed than to share plunder with the proud. Would you rather, okay, would you rather humility and be among those taken advantage of or looked down upon? Or would you rather be rich and proud? What's your knee-jerk reaction? Thirdly, money is inferior to wisdom. Uh, Maybe we're not surprised by that. This is a book about wisdom. Of course, Solomon's going to be going on about the importance of wisdom, isn't he? But would you rather be rich or would you rather be wise? Honestly. If God asked you, as he asked Solomon, for anything you wanted, would you, like Solomon, go for wisdom? Choose my instruction instead of silver. Knowledge rather than choice gold. For wisdom is more precious than rubies and nothing you desire can compare with her. With me, wisdom are riches and honor. Enduring wealth and prosperity, my fruit is better than fine gold. What I yield surpasses choice silver. Would you rather wisdom or would you rather riches? And finally, it is inferior to good relationships. Better a dish of vegetables with love than a fattened calf with hatred. Better a dry crust with peace and quiet than a house full of feasting with strife. You see, people are more important than plenty. Don't invest in your wealth, invest in relationships foundationally. Better a peaceful beans and toast for dinner around a table of friendship than the most exquisite, expensive steak you can imagine around a table of anger and quarrelling. Would you rather beans on toast or an exquisite steak? Money's just not that important, in one sense, in the scheme of things. And we need to keep reminding ourselves of that and keep preaching that to ourselves. Because so easily we imbibe the culture around us, we imbibe a world that is all about money. And I say to you, would you rather have riches or wisdom? And it's hard to be honest, isn't it? 
It's hard to be honest for a church in the West. We know what we ought to say, but maybe our hearts go elsewhere. Jesus would famously say, you cannot serve both God and money. The psalmist would famously say, Lord, Lord, don't give me too much and don't give me too little. Proverbs 30, give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. Otherwise, I may have too much and disown you and say, who is the Lord? Or I may become poor and steal and so dishonor the name of my God. Lord, don't give me too much, please, or I might forget you, but don't give me too little that I might become dishonest. And when we get it wrong, when our hearts are taken in and, and chase after things that are not helpful, when we, when we calibrate the world wrongly and we value the things that the Lord doesn't value and they get too high on our list, when we believe the lies of money, then we go to the one who became poor for us. Then we go back to the cross. We go back to Christ the one who became poor, that we might be rich in the right kind of ways, that we might have the prosperity that lasts, riches in Christ. There is enough grace in him, even for people like us. Let me pray for us. Father in heaven, you, you know the reality of our hearts. You know the reality of the things that we so easily chase after. You know when we believe the lies of money. When it promises us security or happiness or satisfaction. And we get sucked in. We pray that you would help us. We pray that you would make us wise. We thank you that as we are in Christ, we have all that we need. We thank you that you are a good father who is generous and kind with his children. And we thank you that when we get this wrong, when we get this wrong, you are gracious and kind and forgiving. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.